and welcome to the Glacially Musical Podcast. It is beer, metal, and swearing. I am Nick Cameron, who is a little low energy this evening. I apologize. Stupidity saps my energy, and I've just been farting around with all kinds of stupidity. Joined, as always, on the deep dives into things is my good friend, Keefe Chinabowl. How are we doing today, buddy? That is a creative one. Um, well, I, I, I try like to change it up. Sometimes it's the surname, sometimes it's the common name. You know, whatever. I'm, I'm a little beat up, but I'm going to be okay, because this is my favorite part of the week right now. All right, I appreciate that. Let me get my microphone. Uh, I beer am... check, beer, metal, and swearing. I said, oh, fuck me. <laughs> I mean, like, maybe. Whoa, Sounds okay. I, look, I'm not saying I'm offering. <laughs> But I'm, I'm not saying straight. No I'm not narrow. That's what I want to put across to everybody. Look at this gorgeous. Whatever's coming out of this can is delicious looking. This is a second shift brewing Brewligans New England style India Pale Ale. Uh, second shift brewing is uh, actually kind of passed it on the way home from work uh, in the before times, not in the current times because I don't go that way anymore. But I'll be going that way again in the new times, which are not here yet. All right. You're but talking about is, your next uh, domicile. It's quite a pint. I've never had this one before. And it is named after the the soccer supporters group in St. Louis that I was once a part of. Now I'm not. There's a history. But whatever. It's a new beer. Quite a pint would be a great name for a beer. Just putting it out there. Um, making a good That face. is delicious. Is it now? Mm-hmm. It's a Isn't little it? bit on the the bitter. It's malt forward and hop back. Huh. Interesting change up. Fascinating, Captain. As Spock would say, I too have a pale ale. It is pale ale week. The Glacially Musical Podcast. I have a brand new beer I've never had before. Bear Republic Independent since 1995. Racer 5 IPA pale ale. I have seen that one so many times that I've never tried it. Let me know how it I'm is. I'm about to find the fuck out. This is 10.2 fluid ounces. I'm hoping it's yummy. Uh, veteran owned. On ten, no, it's ten, it, it, no. that's a pint cut. That's a pint. Is it? It's. I'm sure it's not 10.5 ABV. Oh, no. Uh, no, I could be, could be. I don't know. I can't see. I, my glasses are not on. So Fair enough. Uh, you brought up from, from 95. I got a bit of a funny... Uh, anecdote regarding my favorite hot beverage, which I think everybody knows is tea, and uh, love a good breakfast tea. Scottish, English, and Irish are the ones I drink reg- on the on the regular. Uh, asked my, I was gonna go get some tea on Sunday, and then I realized, oh crap, it's gonna, it's gonna, I'm gonna miss some of the Blues game if I go to the store because there's only two stores in the St. Louis area that I'm aware of that have loose tea. One of them is in my neighborhood, so that's helpful. I didn't go because I didn't want to miss any of the Blues games, so my wife's like, we're going on a Goodwill shopping spree. I'm like, have fun. I'm going to watch hockey and drink beers and spin some records after this is over. And I ordered some tea. It showed up yet. It showed up the other day, and I'm looking at it going, oh, look at this tea. Master Tea Crafters since 1985. Interesting. I don't know. I don't know if that's enough time to qualify oneself as a master tea crafting company when your competition Twinings has been around since 1704. Fair enough. Fair enough. Not a great story. This beer is yummy, and I'm pleased that I'm having it. 
This is a little uh this is a little unfiltered-y. Oh, my friend Kyle did the artwork for this beer. Kyle you Scarborough. You did he not know that going in? No, I I've never looked at it. He is a tattoo artist out of Washington, Missouri. Uh there is a WWE wrestler whose mask he designed even. Whoa. Yeah, he's got some big, pretty good stuff going on. But uh yeah, that, that's awesome that he did that. Very cool. Makes sense. But um, so vinyl check. What you got for me? I have a little something something I splurged on. Not expensive, but a little seven inch of exhumed worming, which they put out in the fall, and I just got the vinyl of. I think this was ten bucks uh, on a gorgeous. I'm gonna take it out and show you because no one else can see this because it's a podcast. But check this snotty green vinyl. Oh, it's a, oh, it's a big version. hole forty five. There was a yes, it's a big hole 45, and look what came with it. Yeah. Oh, the That's little, fucking mag- love. The little widget you stick in the, the, you stick in the, the noggin. Widgety, 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 whack. I've actually it, seen big hole 45s that come with the widget permanently in the permanently, big hole. Yeah, melded in. I'm um, like, That's kind of dumb, but whatever. I do want to shout out, in addition to a brand, the brand new song, Worming, from Exhumed, this also has a cover of Nazi Punk's Fuck Off. But it's Nazi meddlers fuck off. Distorted and twisted to form and vacant grave. Two other deep cut exhumed songs. Um, exhumed just got off a tour. They did an entire like six week tour. No one got COVID. Amazing at death metal shows. Hard to believe. Death metal shows not no not the cleanest uh, of shows, and I don't mean uh, drugs <laughs> yes. and alcohol. Yes. I mean, the venues are not precisely... And, I mean, the great unwashed masses who come to these things is not exactly hygienic, a hygienic bunch. But that's my vinyl check-in. And uh, I love my metal people, unwashed or not. And uh, Agreed. I, I love y'all all. And sometimes I'm not washed, but I usually am. Um, what is your vinyl check-in, Nick? My vinyl check-in is actually pretty short this week. I, uh, I haven't... I don't think I've bought anything... We talked on Saturday, and it's Wednesday. I think the only thing I purchased since then is I picked up one of Forever Autumn's earlier records. She was kind enough to send me her latest EP for a podcast interview I did with her where we went track by track, and it's a great record. And I keep listening to it at 33 when it's actually 45. Oops. (laughs) It sounds great at 33, though. So I need to... Probably do it at forty five. Thought time. you had the Val record from last year, but no. Um, the what record from last that, year? The band Val. Do you know the band Val from New Orleans? Uh, yeah, I sludge avant garde fan at all. I am. I, I they did a collaborative record with Emma Ruth Rundle and an EP in the last two years, so a full length and an EP back to back, and then now they're working on a new record. I'm a fan. Oh, very cool. I also. And I've teased it like eight times, but it finally happened. My Mega Ran Black Materia, the remake, finally showed up. I'll be this is to the of... Instagram spinny. Yes, this is officially the longest uh, pre-order I've ever had. I pre-ordered that in February 2021. And it finally showed up. So not quite a year. Supposed to be in, I uh, was supposed to have it in May. And I was supposed to get an email saying it's coming, but it didn't. Also, my I Fight Dragons Patreon LP is ready to ship. It'll be shipping next week. My copy of Harper and Page, Whatever Happened to Jugula, showed up today. 
haven't even cleaned it yet. It's so new. And I am pretty sure that's all I'm waiting for right now. All right. So cool. I got a pretty weak vinyl check, but I am going to the record store on Saturday. Rain or snow, and snow's in the forecast. But my wife has a four-wheel drive crossover SUV that I can take down there. Please drive safely. I will not. I will. I'm just kidding. Okay. Um, oh, a short vinyl then. check this week. It's a very it short vinyl. Well, we've had like some massive weeks lately, and so we're gonna have a tiny one, and maybe you know we'll see if I have any next week. But I have some, you know. There's always some stuff I'm discovering, rediscovering, getting sent to me, new things on the horizon. Well, I still have two in the mail-ish on pre-order. The I fight, the aforementioned I fight dragons, and of course. The new Old Man Wizard record, which is supposedly coming. I'm waiting for that also. Like, I think I bought several different versions because I was so hyped for the album. I, um, uh, I love I actually, Francis Roberts. I hope it's not the last record, supposedly the last Old Man Wizard record. I actually had to ask him to change the shipping address. Because I had mine, when I ordered it originally, I'm like, huh, it's supposed to ship in January. If that happens, I'll still be here. Yeah. We're so not it, mad at you, Francis. It's, I understand no. about the vinyl shipping delays, and like this is not your fault. By the way, I don't know if you bought the full price vinyl, or he's just sending you one. No, I bought it. Be, yeah, I bought it. I bought several. And I was gonna say, like, he was doing some bonkers shit when he he did like a series of like Bandcamp Friday shit. But he was like, "You want the vinyl of the brand new record? Ten bucks right now. You have ten minutes." And I did that, <laughs> literally at, like a midnight Pacific on a on a Friday. And um, I was like, for 10 bucks, I'll just get another. Like, fuck it. Like, <laughs> he had so many versions of it. I didn't he see that one. He gave away test pressings. He did, for, for a pretty much underground guy with a good reputation that's not a mainstream artist, he did some, like, next-level shit marketing. Francis and, is one, one of the nicest guys in metal. And I, and I mean that because he, he is just flat-out a good dude. Super. So he super. is funny. He is exceptionally talented, mm-hmm. and King Gorm uh, actually made the one and only end-of-year list I ever wrote personally. Oh, it was my number one record of 2020. Maybe next year I will invite you to vote in the Ghost Cult poll, and you can put up your guest post there. I don't know that I'll do that, but if you I've never enough. written one for myself, so I don't know oh. that I'll write one for someone oh, else. No I, used, uh, I actually had a thing for a while where <laughs> I was having other artists like write their top 10 of the year. Uh, yeah, that's what we did. We had like Which I'm like, wow, this is genius. You guys do all the work. All I got to do is all edit. All you do is edit and post. Yeah, and most of the time it was pretty well done. Um, I actually else? felt really bad about uh, Forever Autumn sending me that album for free mm. as a promo. <laughs> so that's whenever anybody sends me a promo and keeping in mind, I don't ask for them anymore. I even yeah. said, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. And they did it. Yeah, and... I uh, so I mean I, I appreciate it and I love it. So whenever that happens, I always buy one as well. It's something at least. Keithy's giving me the side eye. Or no, no side eye at all. Right? I'm just I'm formulating thoughts. Ah, formulating Fake no thoughts. more thoughts. But I wanted to ask you if there was anything else we needed to cover or discuss. I don't um, think we. Ha- I don't have anything else to to go over right now. It's been. You know, when we do when we do a bonus, it, it makes it a little bit more difficult to <laughs> it sucks the life out of us. It was quite. <laughs> it was a fun bonus. If you haven't checked it out, or you will by the time this airs, 
Hopefully you've checked it out. It was a fun episode and both of us were like, and now you're listening to Coffee with Nicholas and Gilia. It, it was a fun one and it was, I'm sure I sounded very odd because not only was I echoey, but I learned if I talked in a certain way, I echoed less. So I was talking like this the entire I, time. You had the pigs in space vocal effect on though. Like, Ooh, yes I did. Pigs yes, I did. in space. Oh, I will say, uh, as a postscript to the bonus episode, I did do an A to B on my copies of The Wall. Oh, let's do that. Let's hear about it. Uh, I did not give, I, I did uh, side A to side A on Saturday night, and then I listened to the rest, and I listened to the rest of uh, the original press of the wall that night, and I have to say there wasn't a dip. There was a difference. It wasn't as marked as I had hoped, but it was enough for me to go. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to replace animals. Interesting. Animals is the only other studio album I have on the 180 repress, not counting Pulse. But I'm never replacing Pulse unless I break it. It's it. It costs way more than it's legitimately worth. And, you know, I take that back because I say that, but I have listened to that fucking record. Like, that was like the soundtrack to my 2020. My kid would come upstairs when it was lunchtime or whatever when we were all working from home, and she'd go, oh, my God, Pulse again? What's wrong, Dad? And that became my my the soundtrack to my misery because it was so long. <laughs> Because it was four discs instead of just two, like The Wall, which The Wall had always been my soundtrack of misery. But I think I've also decided that when I move into the new place, I am going to put copies of The Wall on top of my record cases. Because The Wall is, I mean, that is my favorite album. And that's, it's legitimately my absolute single favorite record. And I've got four copies. I've got an original press, a repress, uh, the Live in Berlin, Record Store Day 2020. And I've also got Roger Waters' 2015 album, The Wall, live in Paris or wherever the hell it was. So I'm going to have all those up on top. That's pretty cool. And then I'm going to have to fight for space against amongst the Funko Pops. Fight for the space among the Funko Pops. <clears throat> yeah. Okay, so that's all I've got now. Now I take, right, I take everything else Pink I said. Pink Floyd check. We're Pink Floyd check. Off, crossing off all the things. Well, if we're going to do a Pink Floyd check... Um, I found out who the singer for the Symphonic Pink Floyd concert that I'm going to is. Mm. Randy Jackson of Zebra. Really? Yes. Okay, Randy Jackson's phenomenal. I've, I saw Randy Jackson and Zebra in concert, I'm going to say, two years ago, and they were phenomenal. Did you know he did a Pink Floyd tribute? I did. I did not. Is that he one of the Magna Carta Records things? I'm not. I, I'm not real familiar with him, but I I, I know Zebra, and because I, I saw it, and they finally listed something because they had just been saying it's the St. Louis Symphony with with a rock band, and I'm like my fingers are crossed like El Monstero, be El Monstero, be El Monstero. El Monsteros are local and they're amazing, and it's not exactly a tribute. It's more of a cover with like it, it's a it's a covery. It, Covery tribute. They don't. The singer also plays guitar, so it's one of the. It's not like you know they're they're. They are and they aren't. They're a tribute band that does not look for complete replication. I don't know how to describe this, if that makes any sense. 
Uh, got that. Uh, the Gilmore Experience is coming to St. Louis, which I am going to. It is ten dollars. Mm. It's at the Casa Loma Ballroom, which they also have wrestling at. It's a really cool place. It's got a mezzanine. It's got shitty, shitty St. Louis beer. All the Bud Light you can put back, and if you drink beer at all, it's a lot. Uh, it's in a wonderful neighborhood. I'm going to get tacos before the show because it's in uh, our taco district. Um, excited for that. It is a David Gilmore solo tribute show, which I don't know who the fuck thought this up, but whatever. I'm going to go. Two straight I, hours of about face. Here we go. Oh, fuck me. I actually got on my Facebook memories. I post uh, apparently a few years ago today. I posted when I got the first, the David Gilmore original solo record, which was his band before Pink Floyd getting back together to do a record. And that record is phenomenal. There, you, you, I will cut a bitch who says anything against that record. Oh. So, but I tell you that story to tell you this story. One of my friends apparently posts on there, check out About Face. That's the real, and I'm like, okay, you know. I know I have about face. I tried to no, sell I it. I know. It is not good. We talked about it. I yeah. Uh, I guess we should announce also. Keefe is going to rejoin us, Duncan and myself, on the Department of Metal Antiquity. So I'm going to have a real good, awkward look at all my partners' polyamorous podcasting day. Uh, we are going to do sister wives. Sister wives. Uh, we'll talk about that later. Anyway, so so my polyamorous podcast day. Because uh, we, I have a copy of, in my, my Duncan package, which might arrive tomorrow, fingers crossed, I've got uh, both Sid Barrett's solo records, so we're going to do a DMA on the second one, which is Sid, Sid Barrett on guitar and vocals, David Gilmore on bass, Rick Wright on keyboards, and Jimmy Jackass on drums. I'm sure I just was very rude to somebody who's very talented, but it, it basically it's alternate world Pink Floyd. Hmm. Do we, do we book a day for this yet or not yet? No, because i got to okay. wait for the record to show up. But it's coming. Okay. It's either going to be a week from Sunday. No, two weeks from this Sunday or three weeks. Mm. Okay. We've already Vague, got this week. Vagueness and... doesn't help me, but that's fine. I'm normal. I, all I have so. is vagueness. I know. Hello, vagueness, my old friend. It's, it's, it um, all depends upon when the damn box shows up. It could be two I weeks. It could be five if weeks. You end up being like a record short for the Duncan box. Just like suggest something to me, and I'll pick it up so you can get your Duncan boxes and more regular. No, the Duncan boxes. I've, I've got two dudes at work. I'm like, oh, hey, okay. I'm buying shit from from England. You want to you want to jump in on this? So I don't got to buy five next time. <laughs> but if you do it right, you save a shit ton of money. Fair enough. But I've got so I've I, about a third of my my discogs want list now is in pounds. Whatever floats your boat, buddy. Whatever what floats my boat is filling up these damn shelves with and sweet, now. sweet, delicious vinyl. And now I assume it's delicious. I don't actually eat it. Apparently, you can spin them and get music out of it. A lot of fiber. Sorry. So what are we talking about today? We've rambled. Ramble on. We are talking about in the darkest depths of Mordor. Faith no more. Angel dust. Nineteen ninety two. Where's my my announcer voice? Trying to announce oh, voice. We are now discussing the third release by <clears throat> Bay Area Wackadoodle Metal 
punk whatnot band, Faith No More, when they came back mm. swinging after their mainstream breakthrough of the real thing. On this tr- on this album, Jim Martin, the most talented member of the group, had far less input than he normally had. Well, I'll tell you what. Actually, I have a slightly yes and no. I have a differing, a slightly differing opinion, and we can either talk about. No, it I mean, it, admittedly, Mike Patton is way more talented than him. Well, whatever. We can we can discuss it now, or we can discuss it later. Um, now and later is delicious. They they broke through. They toured incessantly, all of eighty nine and ninety, and part of ninety one. It's really took, hard to think about a band like Faith No More yeah. garnering that mainstream success. <laughs> It's, uh, it was super unlikely, and I think none of them were ready for it, especially 21-year-old Mike Patton. Uh, How so could band, anybody ever yeah. really be ready for that moment? Just, yeah, and again, I just think the probable mistaking, getting them lumped in with metal as heavy and grooving as they are and as perfect a match as they are as a band that can you know, role-play in the metal world, it was prob because, of, you know... They're too heavy for alternative rock, and they're not alternative enough for alternative kids. And they, yeah, you know, it's 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 like no Metallica was sound. in 1981. They they were right. too riffy. They were too metal for punk and too punk for metal. Most bands that do that approach back 30 years ago don't go anywhere. I had a similar band 20 plus years ago where we tried to touch like every kind of style. Here's the thrash song. Here's the new metal song. Here's the butt rock song. Here's the and here's the Allison Chains song, uh, and it did my, not work. The bass player in my band had this idea. We would do our grunge song, our metalish song, our Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles theme song, and then the mariachi song. <clears throat> uh, we broke up. Yeah, fair enough. Um, so Faith No More, they took – actually, they didn't do a full two years. They did like a year and a half, and then they actually took off as a band a year which is unheard of. Normally the record company is like, get right back in there and do another record. And they basically were sick of each other and they took a break. And Patton reignited Mr. Bungle, signed a record deal, and put out a record all in that time. Yeah, the thing about that is I remember when when Epic broke and he's wearing the Mr. Bungle t-shirt in the video. And my friend's going, oh yeah, that's his other band, Mr. Bungle, they're great. And they didn't even have a deal yet. So I wonder if my friends were lying to me. Well, their demo was pretty famous. We would just call them Mr. Bunghole before Beavis and Butthead was a thing. We would just say, hey, it's Mr. Bunghole. Plus, I feel like the they copied the original image of one of their shirts. That shirt has like the, you know, the Little Miss Know-It-All shirts or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then there was like the shampoo that would give you the hives if you used it. Or the body wash for little kids that would make them break out. Um, I know this firsthand. And so oh. I... Th- I think their shirt spoofed that kind of imagery, that cartoonish look. But, um, yeah, they took some time off. Bungle puts out a record. And they tour. And, on the, you know, weirdly on the strength of Faith No More's success, Mr. Bungle is like goes from playing VFWs and dives to playing, like, theaters out of the gate. Which I'm sure, you know, obviously Pat, all the players are geniuses and had a lot of credibility, but I'm sure there were people at their shows and, on, you know, there was no online back then. I'm sure there were critics who were like, yeah, there's a lot of, you know, the side band, usually the side band of a famous guy 
gets like a little leg up right, from the journalism world. A bump. And so, really interesting shit out of the gate. In the meantime, the Faith No More guys reunite to write a new record. And uh, once again, working with the sixth member of Faith No More, uh, Matt Wallace, who had produced their previous two records. I think this Real quick, I want, I want to go back to the VFWs. Um, <clears throat> I want to do a podcast one day where we talk about where we've seen artists in weird places. Oh, yeah, I got a few of those. My favorite is seeing James Legg, also Left Lane Cruiser, and Hooten Hollers in a taco bar. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. Sorry, no stage even. No, just yeah. I've, tacos. I've, had, I've had a few of those. I've also played a few gigs that were unusual. So I think that will add that to my story. Um, so the band starts to write music. And again, as I mentioned in the previous episode, really, or the previous two episodes, really and truly the core of Faith No More is Billy, Roddy, and Mike. They are the main writers. They trade the main riff tapes they build the blocks of most of these albums up to this point. Um, they never really, you know, they never really included other people. And so here's where the Jim Martin thing comes in. They would usually write the core of a song and say, this is up finished to a point. Then they would send it to Jim to put riffs on top of, which is why it sounds like that. I think, interestingly enough, before we even talk about the record, I will say I feel like this is a heavier record all the way through, but the heaviest songs are on the real thing comparatively. Does that make sense? It does. It does. And I think there is some stellar guitar shit on here. I also think there's just some stuff that's like, if you know, like again, I think Jim would submit songs to them, and he got a few on here. And he got some writing credits on here because some. Of I'm just teasing it. Memorable. It's just no, this no. wasn't this wasn't the Jim Martin you, show. Like you are a Jim Stan, and he is, you know, relegated to the sidelines through his whole tenure of the band. Which this is his final record with the band, by the way. In fairness, mm. I am usually a stan of the lead guitar player. Mm. That is usually where I fall. Fair. Except with Pink Floyd for some reason. Probably because Roger Waters wrote the Stop wall. Stop it! That was my that was my entry point. Stop now! Um, I will not. I know you won't. Um, but interestingly enough, they did let Patton come in. You know, we had mentioned the real thing was all written before Patton came in, and mainly they did not let him change the songs. They let him what? do what he wanted, lyric melodically and lyrically. I wonder how much even melodically they allowed him. No, a lot, because some okay. of those things are just fucking insane. Like, only he could do them. So, like, I don't think... Also, I'm going to jump it... in real quick. This beer no. is eminently drinkable and fucking amazing. All right, then. I, yeah, might, put back, I might put back my, my backup and grab another one of these. Whatever you want to do. Yeah, I'm totally going to do that. All right, then. Um, fair enough. I want to read a quote from the Wikipedia, from Patton, regarding his songwriting contribution to the record. I know Wikipedia is a source of sources, and it's not a really good you know, individual source. So always you know, check the little links and see where they go and see who has you know, confirmed what. But um, Mike has this quote that's here on the Wikipedia, and it says, 
There had never been any question of my staying in the band. We started writing music for this album and being part of something so fundamental was what made it sure of it for me. The real thing had been like someone else's. Someone else's band, and it had been, it felt like an obligatory thing. They didn't need a damn singer. It was just that they had to have a singer. And that's why I was there. That's why Chuck was there. We weren't needed there. So, so that's Patton talking about the difference between coming into the real thing and being told, sing on this, versus him getting to contribute, change songs, write his own songs... And those are pinnacle moments in the band in this album. I would also say that kind of applies to Black Sabbath. The the part about they don't need a singer there, but you need a singer to be popular. I remember I was at uh, the Bernard's Pub, 213 Morgan Street, back in the day where my band played several shows. We're there in this jazz, this jazz fusion metal avant-garde instrumental trio is playing the guy had 15 pedals on stage no board you know those kinds of guys you know like me except i have a board and i remember the the booker slash owner slash bartender it was a really terrible operation in an amazing space unfortunately saying yeah you know no girls no vocals no girls it was 1995 what do you want i get it i get it um, what did Lars Ulrich say in 1991, man? 50-50, that's a sign of making it. Mm. I'm sorry. And the chicks are great, to quote Almost Famous. I sound like a dick. You are a dick. Um, <laughs> that little, you are a dick. is like. So did you know great. that he was playing that scene on cocaine? Jason Lee, I mean, probably. He was a sign No, of no, I mean, he was playing it as though... He, oh. The character were on cocaine. I mean, the whole movie, they were on, like, I'm they on were, drugs! They never showed them on the schneef, though. I'm a golden god! There I mean, was a scene... The acid. There was a scene where Billy was going to walk in on him. Uh, not Billy. Um, Cameron Crowe's character. William. William. Okay, Billy. That works out. Was going to walk in on him, uh, shooting up, uh, snorting the schneef. But that was cut after they filmed that. Interesting. So, William Miller, uh, almost famous as called. anyone who's listened to this podcast more than twice knows, we cannot go an entire episode without bringing it up because Keefe and I are both on that on the on the William I'm path. That, I'm just on that. Well, I mean, you know, I'm too ugly to be on the other path. I mean, something about well, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know. Um, <laughs> He's very good friends with Lester Bangs. Anyway, um, uh, so so this album is ridiculous. Okay, right off the bat, like Agreed. this is ridiculous in in such a different way than the real thing is ridiculous in other ways, and it works. I don't know how it works sometimes. You, listen you know, to after so, after like, listening to this work? Angel Dust this week, the real thing seems so normal. It kind of does, and it when, seems... when you when you bookend the real thing between introduce yourself and Angel Dust, all of a sudden you have a Michael Bolton record, kind of, and it, and it almost felt straight ahead by comparison the, the exactly. real thing. But I will also say that there are many moments on Angel Dust that, to me, call back to introduce yourself and the original kind of Roddy, Mike, and Billy mode 
of making these like very funky, danceable rock songs. I will be interested in hearing that because I have never gotten that. I'm gonna pull it out because I got a list here, buddy. All right, you hit it. This is my this is my jam. I love this album. Uh, I'll just go into it saying I listen to this record like once a week. It's one of my top five favorite albums of all time. It is. I love it. But anyway, give me the warning before we hit track by track. I got something to say. Holding it back. Uh, I just think I have one more point to make, which is that. It's un- it, again the unlikely success of this band. The unlikely, unlikely success of this band is is mind blowing, um, and the fact that they got even bigger after making definitely a harder to digest album, despite the late hit single that comes in later on, is just again just unlikely in the big world of the old school music industry in the nineties. Completely agree. This album is far harder to digest than their first two albums. The first album, Introduce Yourself, is a good time. It's crazy, but it's fun. The real thing shows a maturity where they're evolving into something where they're thinking about bigger things. Their music is becoming more epic, more theatrical. And then you get this one. There is a a very distinct evolution, and that is something I look for in every band that I really love, like that way Penny Lane loves a band. Callback. But, except for Kiss, because they don't have that. Indeed. Um, so, was that your thing, or am I ready no, to go? No, no, that wasn't it. That wasn't, do you want to do it now? Because I want sure. to draft this thing. Uh, I have not listened to this album. I haven't sat down to listen to Angel Dust and very long time uh i have a copy of it on cd to give you an idea of how long it's been because i haven't bought cds in seven years now so listening to it i tried to listen to it as much as i could over the past weekish, five days ish uh i'm not sure how many times i've gotten through the whole thing but i always had this idea that this album completely lacked guitar parts that it was all synth all bass, all drums. And I was quite surprised at how wrong I had remembered this record. It can also be the mixing. I think if you listen to this record in the cans, as I used to say, in the headphones, you definitely appreciate some subtle guitar genius that's going on. It it is definitely subtle. It's not overt. I will say that Roddy's keyboard parts are so incredible. It is the reason that the you or the keyboards are so memorable because the keyboard is the hook of almost every song outside the vocal. It, it's like if Rick Wright grew a pair. It's very yeah. Well, he loves Rick Wright, Roddy, and um, I do hope to interview Roddy Bottom at some point for his new band, Man on Man, with his boyfriend. Well, I mean, just my point is Rick Wright was willing to kind of cower in the face of Roddy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, anyway, I don't there's know. a lot. I'm, I will say this, because we can't go 88 seconds without a Pink Floyd talk, but I will say that there was a lot more talent in Rick Wright than we saw on the Pink Floyd records. There's no doubt. There's no doubt. Uh, I would like like to have had the Rick Wright jazz album. But anyway, just like I'm I'm here for these Roddy side bands and, you know, new new band. Um, So, yeah, this record is... Is that your second beer, same as the first? Same as the, I, yeah, I actually went uh, for the first time ever. I, I'm 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 double dipping on one beer. Look at that. Yeah, there is no no clarity. 
It's very. Oh, that's a metaphor for today's album. It's a foggy day in London town. No I clarity. I think there's a lot of clarity on this record, but you, you know, you a lot of crazy. Get, you have to get it. You have to get it. But sometimes, if you take crazy far enough, it's just sane. Anywho. Wow. Did you? You mean to rub your calves there? Yeah. You, you stretched a little bit far. Wah wah wah. Bad jokes. Bad jokes. So, my back in Brooklyn, sirens. Um, I don't know if anybody picked up on my foreshadowing for my statement earlier, but... Oh, I don't know. Okay. I did not. Um, let's do the track listing, just in case this fire is in my building and the alarm is going to go off and ruin the <coughs> podcast. Because that shit happens once a week. Nice. Without fail, at like four in the morning, just as if I finally got into a deep REM sleep and then the fire alarm will go off. <clears throat> Kicking things off with Land of Sunshine. And I had this on CD, so I'm just going to treat this like a CD. Uh, I have it on CD, so it's fine. If you, if you are around from 30 years ago, you remember that one of the distinct features of American life was televangelists, and it still kind of is. These motherfuckers are the bane of everyone's existence and really just grift and steal money and don't heal or help anyone. Land remind, of Sunshine. You, remind me to tell you my story. Land of Sunshine is a bit of a commentary on your Jim and Tammy Faye Bakers and your Jimmy Swaggerts and your Seven Hundred Club fuckers. Fuck you know, frankly, that was a pretty that was a pretty common theme in uh, I don't want to say metal because Faith No More is not precisely metal, but in the heavier in the more heavier subversive side of music, Iron Maiden, Metallica, uh, Black Sabbath, even suicidal tendencies. Send me your money. Same era, almost the same couple of years. Yeah. Back-to-back years. Um, And mind you that this album, wacky as crazy as shit as it is, is, comes out in June of 92, so almost 30 years old, just about. And it's at the same time as the Black Album is huge, and Iron Maiden's on the way down, and Grunge is breaking big, and Iron Maiden's touring um, Fear of the Dark, dark, which was a fart. Yeah, right down the drain. But, uh... Anthrax's recording sound of white noise. White Zombie's not quite out yet. Slayer has uh, no Zombie is on the road. Um, not new. Not a new drummer yet. Is it no Zombie's touring right before, uh, Sex, Sex or Sister? Right they before hadn't broken. Right before ninety three. Mm. Sex or Sister's ninety three. Uh, but I'm with you in spirit. Like that's this era, which yeah. may be the only reason this shit worked anyway, because it just well, so pa- and Pantera had just broken. Uh, Vulgar Display of Power at this time. Black Sabbath of, had just come back. Big records. A lot of big records. So this record is a legit breath of fresh air and a hit. So Land of Sunshine, killer first track, co-written by Billy and Roddy, and great, like, satirical... Oh, I will say this, like, the comedy thread, the satire thread that runs through all of Faith No More is n- almost never stronger than here in this whole record. And... Really makes me now appreciate, not quite back-to-back, but we just had done Monty Python right before this. And there's a lot of absurdity on here, and this song is one of them. Thoughts on Land of Sunshine? The Here's How to Order. If you are of a certain age, and I don't know if anybody here remembers uh, the, the, the cable television show Men of a Certain Age, which came out when I was not of a certain age, but I'm rapidly approaching it. Uh, those of us of our generation remember the here's how to order. So this track lampoons 
the the commerciality of the day. It is here. Here's a it's, it's a great pre. It's a great premonition of what's to come. I remember six or seven years later, before, when e-commerce was beginning, when e-commerce was a thing, and people saying, "Oh, you know, e-commerce is going to kill everything," and I'm like, "No, it's not." People hate putting their credit card numbers into the internet. People have mail order now. Clearly, I was fucking wrong because I work in e-commerce. I mean, that's my job. But this is that moment in time when they're lampooning the idea of mail order, of televangelism. And we are at the absolute zenith of, you know, remember the special two record sets? Uh, I can remember $9.99 on vinyl. $14.99 $14.99 on cassette. And, you know, this is when Zomfear commercials Master are, of the pan flute. Master of the pan flute. The fucking, he is the Roddy Bottom of the pan flute. I think you're a little too generous, but okay. He is great. He's the master, isn't he? He's the master of the pan flute. What's Roddy Bottom? The master of the keyboard. The master. There we go. Nailed it. So, minister. that's a callback to last week, so check back last week if you haven't gotten to it. All right, then. Uh, um, no, it, it's it's a great song. It's, it's again, I, I remembered this album differently from what it was. Um, I have talked about this before. Do not listen to what the artists say about their own work. Very I, good, yeah. I think They're I was, too close to it. Correct. You're going to always be too close to it. And I think I was far... I think I was influenced by what Jim said about it because Jim to me is faith. No more. That is my, that is my favorite part of this out of, of this band to me, right. not to everyone else. It is my get ready for three albums. Of disappointment. Then, <laughs> like, <laughs> Not to me, but like you maybe. I we'll know. I know. We're going to find out. I have a feeling that frown is going to turn upside down. Um, so good track, grooving track, good riff, bouncy bass, Funny. Ends on a ends really strong. Good opener, it, it, under funny, four minutes. Great opener, and it it's it's fun to listen to. I've listened to that song probably eight times in the past five days. There you go. Second track is caffeine. If you don't sleep like I don't sleep, caffeine is your life and your god. And I uh, uh, I caffeinate three separate ways daily. All right then, anal, uh, cold brew, anal, Keurig, whoa, anal, and then tea, coffee enema. Wow. Okay. Right. Do you need um, the number of my therapist? I'll give it to you. <laughs> um, apparently, Mike Patton wrote the lyrics to Caffeine while uh, forcing himself to stay awake for days at a time. And just you know, I, I'm I'm gonna say it. Out. I don't believe that the sleep deprivation thing was like really popular of the alt set around this time. Just I, that's just me. Fair enough. I don't have strong rec. I don't have strong recollections of this particular track. Okay, it's a good track. Then the third track, far and away my favorite here, and maybe my favorite by the band, "Midlife Crisis," a bona fide hit song, crunchy, catchy, incredible singing, incredible lyrics, unbelievable song. Everything about this thing is a banger. Before I get started, was Jim even in the studio that week? 
Probably not. He, I still fucking barely, love that song. You can barely tell there's a guitar here. A like, there's there's a little guitar on it. A little, um, right? Exactly. A little guitar. This not is that Faith No More has ever been a guitar band, but it's very, very little. But still, even though, even though Jim Martin is is the heart and soul of Faith No More, what I love, I fucking love this song. This song is truly amazing. Mike Patton flexes his muscles in a way that kicks me in the junk, and I'm not even a singer. I feel bad not being that good, and I don't even want to do that. I also, with you, 100%. It's, it's like watching that the, the Jason Statham movies where he's an assassin. He can kill you with a bucket or a garden hose, and you've never thought about doing that before, but now all of a sudden this guy can do it, so now it's competition. Yeah, Patton really comes into his own here because it's his material also, and he had complete freedom, which he did not have on the re- the previous record, so they definitely unshackled him. I know there was a lot of talk when Bungle got signed that maybe he was going to quit Faith No More because of Bungle, because that was his band and his baby, but like like I said, I think this song, Land of Sunshine, some of these other tracks are just so stellar. This band is a, a com- just like a chemical bomb of a mix of, of talents. I understand that Jim is a little deregulated at times. I disagree, though. I no, do it's, think it's... that Jim has some iconic guitar parts, solos and riffs, but I just okay, think let's, not this Real song. quick, let's agree never to say iconic again. Right. I'm on a Kiss forum. Oh, then get out of here with that shit. There's nothing about Kiss that's iconic except the live show. And um, every No, Kiss describes everything as iconic. Right. And a lot of these people on this forum, and I love them. I don't, if you're listening, because some of them listen. But uh, it's like politics. As soon as your your politician says socialism, now every now that is socialism, even though it has nothing to do with the workers' yes. control of factories or the uh, you know the capital planners. But you know, I I just want to point out that Kiss putting out a series of soundboard live albums is about one of the dumbest things I've ever heard of in my life. Because what I don't want to hear is how Kiss sounds live. I want to see Kiss live and hear the recording. I don't want to listen to a soundboard of them struggling to sound as polished as the record, which they could never do. Keep talking. Just discuss. Keep talking. Keep just talking. Keep preaching to the fucking choir. Keep, no, keep I, fucking talking. Oh, keep gonna... talking. <laughs> You do not tell me you're going to buy those soundboard albums. Get the fuck out of here, dude. There's no way. There's just no fucking... <laughs> why, though? 2001, why? Is it Ace? Uh, this per- Is it Tommy? This, okay, this one I purchased oh, God. because, one, I can't help myself, admittedly. Two... It was a lineup of the band that had never been released on any kind of release. It is Gene, Paul, Ace, and Eric Singer. That okay. lineup only existed for like six weeks. I guess, but like, nobody asked for that record, dude. Nobody. Now the next one with Tommy Thayer from 2004, which has already been released on video and already released on Instant Live. No, I'm not buying that because fuck that noise. Now, you, you drop one with Gene, Paul, Eric, and Bruce. Eric Carr? I will throw fucking hundos at you. Anyway. Sorry. The first major detour of Angel Dust arrives in song four. 
And this is a detour unlike any detour the band has had, even in that band, which is saying a lot. RV, recreational vehicle, I believe. Uh, I would describe this song as kind of like a Tom Waits, torchy, you know, torch song kind of... You know, kind of, the, kind of what people imagine Frank Sinatra sounded like when he couldn't sing anymore. Uh, I saw Frank Sinatra on his last tour, I believe. I also saw Frank Sinatra on his last tour, and he was fucking incredible. Ninety four, ninety five. Uh, I saw ninety one, and then ninety four. I saw. I worked at the the arena. It was I saw, not good. My claim to fame, beside the story I shall not name because you get mad, is that I saw... My second claim to fame is that I saw Frank Sinatra and Slayer two days apart. No one else um, can say this. No. A good friend of mine saw Striper and Slayer a week apart. That's fucking awesome. Just That's for the Danny. sheer coincidence. But RV is a fun song. Um, Faith and would have many songs like this in the future. Not exactly. No, song is, no two songs are alike. That's the gift of this band. But RV is... You know, it's got its place. I'm not saying it's one of the highlights of the record. For some people it is. But Patton, again, shows another flavor, another style. He inhabits a character like almost no one else. And um, it's definitely a, a solid tune. No strong recollections. I'm sorry. All right. No problem. I feel bad. Um, speaking of riffs, though, the next couple of songs have some killer riffs. We'll see your judgment on that if you have memories of smaller and smaller, and we'll take everything's ruined back to back in the middle meat of the. Album. Around this time in the record is when I started noticing, wow, there's a lot more Jim Martin than I remembered because I remembered on this record it being like midlife crisis all the way through, where you're not sure if he's even in the band. Right. And there are riffs, there are solos, there's arpeggios. You know, so far I have not had a complaint about anything on this album. It's a lot like a real it's a lot like the real thing where there's some standouts and then there's some fallbacks, but nothing there's nothing and that's the same thing as <clears throat> Introduce Yourself. Introduce Yourself has standouts and fallbacks. Right. And, and, and we'll yeah, for sure. There's that. There's peaks and valleys in every record, Correct. right? Some records are just a straight ten all the way through. Most of this record is a ten for me, but probably not everybody. For but me, I, it's it. The lowest it ever goes is about a seven. Okay, that's and that would be yeah. So I just want to again shout out "Small Victories" by Adrian Hart, the you know true story of Faith No More, as well as Faith No More followers on Facebook and the website Faith No More followers, as well as again the Doug Esper book. Uh, we did get a lot of love on Twitter from those mentions. Uh, and I saw a lot that. Of people surprisingly interested in the pod, so hopefully that continues. But I'm not shouting them out for vanity. I have sourced some of my knowledge about the band and this album from Small Victories, so I want to give credit where credit is due. There you go. I think from now on, we are going to stick a uh, a week break between our series. Sure. So So I can bone up. Fair enough. Maybe we'll do a reading list the whole time. Um, so everything's ruined follows smaller and smaller. No, I just mean a break from the series so I can buy a book. Oh, sure thing. Uh, everything's ruined is next. Super catchy. Was a single. Um, phenomenal singing. Phenomenal lyrics. Um, not as much guitar on this one. Just some guitar, but not as much. Uh, and again, these Gould, Borden, 
bottom Patton while you know Wallace has a little writing credit on smaller and smaller. I will say also that Patton did contribute um, the next song himself and did come in with some riffs and ideas. So Patton also writes guitar stuff and he plays a myriad of instruments. And so you know it you know to just say that Jim is the only guitar player. Billy writes riffs that are his riffs on guitar and bass. Um, Roddy has written whole songs, so it's not uh, you know it's not sort of a question of is Jim the only guitar player of the band because he's not, but he is the sort of face of the guitar sound of the band that we know. Here we go with Keithy trying to convince me of the thing I have already come to. I know this. I love this record. If has it not been clear, I love no, this. Album. I mean, I know you don't, but it's fine. I, no, I do. Me. I didn't yesterday. I do today. Well, we'll see. No, um, there is no we'll the see. Next one's going to be the hard one. Next track is a solo Mike Patton composition, one of the few complete solo compositions of his tenure. Uh, Malpractice, uh, funky, weird, psychedelic, strange, bizarre. Uh, you know, it's it's definitely heavy. It's got almost like a little industrial shit to it. A little thing going on. So everything yeah. going forward at this point in the record is bizarre. <clears throat> It's, well, I mean, it, they wanted to be bizarre. They wanted to be... They, correct, and there's nothing wrong with that. I love that. They they had a dream. They achieved it. It's awesome. Right. And it just it just goes on getting weirder and weirder and more and more postmodern, avant-garde, yes. or as I, Mo Sislak would put it, weird for the sake of weird. I will tell you what the what I think is the weirdest song when we get to it. The Midnight so Cowboy? Hasn't happened. It isn't. Oh, that's uh, mine. I think it's brilliant, but we'll get there. It is um, brilliant, but it's still weird. So that was Malpractice. Kindergarten is next. Uh, Faith and More always seems to have songs that sort of, you know, not necessarily, you know, you can't ever determine what a Faith No More song is about by the title very often, or the lyrics even. But uh, Kindergarten is one of these songs they do seem to dwell on children and offspring of humans and um, their weird role in society. And Kindergarten is not about this, but like... Yeah, Patton and Bottom Code worked on the lyrics, and this song is technically a Gould and Martin collabo, the only one on here that's the two of them. Thoughts on... I don't remember that one. Don't remember? I remember All the right. next one. Oh, for sure. Well, the next it's, one I mean, is, it's, the next one's impossible to forget. It's impossible to forget because it's hard to forget songs about fellatio and chism. And not only is it about fellatio, but it's about Roddy Bottom giving fellatio to a dude yeah of course well, i guess you ha- you can only yeah, give fellatio to a dude but anyway technically i don't know i'm not um, getting into that but it the the <clears throat> be be aggressive be, which be it aggressive it should not be understated or we shouldn't pass over the fact that be aggressive be aggressive was in about 80 songs in the 90s it was copied so much the next 20 years. I I think it's got a small bit of... It needs to owe like a couple of shekels to Hey Mickey. Cause Probably. Because it's got the cheerleader cadence with the, you know... Oh uh, my god, I hated Hey Mickey so much uh, when I was a kid. Tony Basil, bro. I think I have um, it on vinyl, though. You might. Somewhere. So the song is incredible. Let's just it talk is. about how Be Aggressive is in, from the Phantom of the Opera keyboard to the great chorus... To the great verses, it's got a funky uh, bass line. It's got a funky guitar. Usually, like one of the things that Faith and More does not do is funk guitar. 
and there's funk guitar. I assume Jim did not play it. I don't know. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. He might have. But it's definitely got like that wickety, wickety, Parliament Funkadelic, Brothers Johnson, Nile Rogers, the genius from Chic, uh, guitar work. And it, At this it point in time, like we, we talked about last week the, and I apologize for cutting you off, but uh, I have things to say, and you have said a lot. Uh, anyway, uh, we're at the point now where Roddy Bottom's wings are open, and he is flapping them. And the keyboards are getting bigger and bigger and more and more grandiose. And he is creating, he, you know, he's pulling faces. He's creating spaces way more than he ever has. So you have two members of the band, arguably, perhaps more, where you have Patton and you have Bottom. Bottom. You have Patton and Bottom. Patton Bottom? Patton Bottom. So you got Patton Bottom. Pat, pat, pat. Uh, realizing innate talents that they had not used before. Which, so now we're getting the, the last half of the, re- the second side of the record, for however you want to look at it, the, the back nine, it's a little bit amorphous because it's so progressive that none of it feels like a single song to me until we get to the last track. But during that time, you get a lot of amazing things done by these two men that were not on the previous record. So Faith No More is becoming a far bigger and far grander quintet. Quintet. Indeed. Um, Be Aggressive is my second favorite song on this record, followed by the next song, which is my third favorite song on the record. It's a very strong side, too, for me. Um, a Small Victory, hence the title, A Small Victories of their biography. Um, another incredible song, unbelievable keyboard, unbelievable riff, unbelievable everything. Uh, this is, um, again, Gould, Bottom, Pat, Borden, Patton. Um, phenomenal sing, like again, the singing. I, I want to also shout out, I didn't really bring this up before. This album is dominated by samples. More than even most rap records of the era, in the height of G Funk, the Chronic is out at this time. Like the amount of samples on this record is so much so that the record label was worried about it. I saw that today. And what? like, oh, you know, this could be a problem if we have to get clearance for all these random weird freaking things. I saw that, but I don't notice them. Well, because they're just woven into songs. And that's the difference between a sample for the sake of a sample. Let's put a sample here. Or let's make the sample the whole song, which became literally the chronic and basically Puffy and Biggie and their whole overtake of hip-hop. And that's kind of when hip-hop to me... Can I tell a 30-second Beastie Boys story? Damn, I want you to. Paul's Boutique, I'm sure. Uh, I, I learned this from the Beastie Boys record music because I'm one of the people that Adrock talked about. On their last album, Hot Sauce Committee Part 2... They listed all these samples and all these songs that they took from to create the album as though they weren't playing any instruments on this one. What it turned out was they went, oh, well, that track is good. That that bass line is good, but it's only good for four seconds. Let's make it a sample. So they played all the samples on that record. They played them, recorded them, and then sampled them from themselves. They performed them. They didn't right. just play a sample, push a button. They played the song. No, they played it, recorded it, and turned it into a sample. Yes. 
So, and then they listed all these fake sample credits on the record. Oh, that's funny. And then exactly, you're the same way. You didn't you didn't check it either. And then Adrock's like, "Well, I guess nobody reads labels like they used to because <laughs> nobody noticed because of Spotify." Anyway, it modern era, modern era. A, a small victory is incredible. End of story. Now for the weirdest song on the album, which also could be the heaviest song on the album. Crack Hitler. Uh, I don't know what the fuck this song is about. I don't want to know. weird singing. It's got like a strange... <laughs> it goes through like voices speaking in tongues. There is some cool guitar. Again, the funky guitar comes back. Jim Martin co-wrote this song, so I tend to think that funky guitar on this one is him. That would probably be him then, yes. Um... I don't know what this song is about. It's catchy, though, but I don't know what it's about. You know, half the time, Faith No More gets going, and I just don't fucking want to know what it's about. Because it goes odd. Like, what inspired We Care A Lot? Let me... Just, just, I'm just going to walk... You you do you, and I'll listen to you doing you. And that's kind of Crack Hitler. And the next one. And the next one. Jizzlobber. Oh, a Patton and... Patton and Martin collab. Patton and Martin co-wrote the lyrics of this. He was very invested in this track, apparently. Uh, different. This shit is weird. It's just another weird, weird one, but a good one. I think it's pretty good. Um, the original album closes with a cover, and after their last record had the War Pigs cover, geniusly done. This is a cover I don't think as many people knew. But to me, was a stroke of genius. The I didn't Midnight even. Cowboy I know song. the song, and I didn't even. I listened to the back half of this today at work during the the, the last half of the day when nothing happens for me, and all of a sudden I'm hearing like these these organ grinders, and it's like, wait a minute, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, what? Wait a minute, where 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 did I end up? I know. I wasn't streaming it. I have this in my iTunes because I bought it and I put it there. So I, it's not like I was doing YouTube like I often do. And it's like, what the hell? What what button did I push when I wasn't noticing? So, yeah. Uh, Midnight Cowboy is so good as a cover. They used to open their shows with it. Really? When I saw them in 2010, they opened with it. They open with they open with Reunited by Peaches and Herb because fittingly reunited and then this second and then other songs. Fuck, dude, I got beer in both cheeks and you're talking about Peaches and Herb? No. Bad Keefy. I don't know what just happened. But anyway, the I almost spat beer all over my screen. The original album closes what I think is in a very interesting place with the cover. And, and uh, also, that's written by John Barry, famous for the James Bond theme and a lot of TV themes and movie themes you know. Um, it's just insane. It's got accordion, it's got recorder, it's got melodica, whatever that is, that you, you would hear on rap songs at that time. It's very faithfully covered by Faith No More. And it's beautiful. It's absolutely meditatively beautiful and now just taking this record stopping here for a second before i go on to the coda that becomes later story of this record just by itself this record here propels them even further than they already were i didn't quite sell at the pace of epic and the real thing but it, it was it, it was pretty big 
And they immediately went on tour with like Soundgarden and Metallica and the Guns yeah. N' Roses Metallica tour. This album sold 2.5. Right, but I'm saying like, yeah, it was it was another big smash hit. I just don't think it was like the wave of like, when you're coming up from zero, there's always a lot more hype than when you're already there. When, I, I think when your, your lead single features footage of your singer being drawn and quartered, <laughs> if you sell 2.5 million copies, I'm going to quote the Incredible Hulk here. I see that as an absolute win. Right. Uh, yes, Midlife Crisis. This album had five singles, uh, four officially and then a fifth. Uh, Midlife Crisis, Land of Sunshine, A Small Victory, Everything's Ruined, which are all very catchy. They didn't pick any of the difficult songs at all. They picked like very catchy songs to be their singles. As you, as yeah, then they chose very hard videos. And you made very complicated, difficult-to-watch, graphic, obscene videos. Which, no problem with that at all. And then a funny thing happened on the way to the forum. Uh, the record label put out, like, a little EP. The guy had recorded so much material for this album, they had a bunch of songs left over, and they put out this EP. It's uh, very hard to find now. It's called Songs to Make Love To. With two Wish rhinos. I still had mine. I have mine. Still humping on the cover. And this uh, bad two rhinos. boy... Two rhinos humping. Is it rhinos? It's rhinos. That's rhinos. Two rhinos humping. <laughs> In a beautiful sunset fashion. If I may, uh, I bought that that and Haunting the Chapel word at uh, the St. Louis Galleria Camelot Music in 1994. In 2001, I became a manager in training of that same store. I was fired in August. <clears throat> right. I mean, officially, the... Easy, it's a single, it's an EP, what is it? Um, they made a video, they did make a video of that track. So yeah, Songs to Make Love To, they made a video for it. It is unbelievably great as a cover. It is. Like, it's let's just, it's awesome. a great song in the first place by the Commodores, written by Lionel Richie, for those that don't know and think it's a Faith No More song. And this song is so huge for them, they have to start doing it live. Which they kind of probably hated, I bet. I bet Patton hated it. Seemed like a good idea at the time. It's a humongous hit song for the band. So much so that they put the record, the label puts a deluxe edition, not an unusual practice, but they put a deluxe edition of the record out with this EP, basically, this extended maxi single, smacked onto the end of the record. So Easy now becomes the final track of the record, plus the bonus tracks. I love this song. Oh, it's a phenomenal song. I used to do it at karaoke. I was at the Revolver Christmas party a couple of years ago, pre-COVID, hammered from the open bar on straight, you know, straight up Jack Daniels. You want to get me drunk? Open bar. That is when I'm going to get every dollar of my double fisting the fucking whiskeys. No, 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 no. Singing easy in my battle vest. Open bar. You got to go straight George Thorogood. You got a triple fist. Oh, yeah. Okay. Me and my good buddy Wiser. Oh, hell no, no, no. No, No that's like the lyrics for one... One whiskey, one shot. No, 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 no. That that is, I drink alone. Oh, sorry, I drink alone. When I'm no, it's myself. one bourbon, one shot, one scotch, beer, one, one scotch. beer. There it is. Sorry, sorry, George. Sorry, hey, that is also a real job. That's Nick. a uh, cover of John Lee Hooker, which was a cover of another dude. So it's mm-hmm. like a fourth generation cover. Right. So yeah, right. I think what happened is the band 
um, like people would expect them to do war pigs, and they would do easy instead <laughs> live, which really pissed people <laughs> off. And I'm not sure why they called it um easy. On uh, like technically called it um easy officially. Like I don't know if it was a licensing thing, but uh, Lionel Richie apparently loved the cover, which is insane. Including How could the, you ew, know? I mean, great it was guitar a, solo. It was a faithful with, cover. Yeah. It, it was a great cover because you had the band playing it straight and Michael Patton being a nut bar, yeah, super which nut worked bar. perfectly. I, I guess it's technically also a – there's a version of it that's on a the Be Aggressive single. Mm. Um, and there's also a Japanese version with many other live tracks. But yep. the the Songs to Make Love To slash original deluxe edition of Faith No More's Angel Dust, there's another version in 2015 which has even more stuff. Which you can hear on Spotify. Easy. Das Schützenfest, a German Oompa Polka song that's sung totally in German. The Midnight Cowboy cover. And another cover. Again, this band cannot do. What is a better band that covers than Faith No More? Let's Lynch the Landlord by Dead Kennedys. Amazing. What I want is I want a Faith No More track where they cover a coup song with Boots. With Boots. With Boots fucking Riley. Okay. The Coop? Yeah, they would like the Coop. They would like them. Um, They're both from the Bay Area. You, you can't yeah. tell me they don't know each other. They must I guarantee you, Boots Riley has woken up naked next to Mike Patton. Weirdly enough, like I said, Patton wow, doesn't want to rap, but he is a great rapper. And he has some great raps on Angel Dust. But So when you now you take the whole album as a whole, this thing is unbelievable. And then, and then they get selected to do the... And they do festivals all over the world. They're not quite a headliner, but they're toward the top of the bill for a band that's only been out for you know less than ten years. They are the opening band for Metallica and Guns N' Roses on the co-headline tour. Unbelievable! It should not be. We, we let's not gloss over the fact that Metallica didn't have an opening act before never, that tour. Yeah. They, well, yeah. But GNR always you always need an opening act for GNR because they might come on on time. But they might come on in four hours. Yeah, um, ac- accurate. Since they've come back, they've been spot on. Well, I think Axel got old and got tired of being sued. So, uh, yeah. Well, um, what's, the, what's the point of you know earning all that retirement money if you're going to lose it in lawsuits? I also want to mention that there's a version of this album that has like interview questions, and these are never a good idea. No. I'm just going to read some of these dumbass questions. You're a journalist. Oh. I'm a journalist. Just like. Would you allow this as a band and then put this out? Or do you have no say against your record label? Like, it's been three years since your last studio album. Are you nervous about releasing the new album? How do you feel about releasing Angel Dust? What inspired Angel Dust? When did you start recording Angel Dust? What was your major concern when you came to record the album? Was it an enjoyable experience? Fuck off with these questions. Who allowed this shit? Can I just say I'm really thrilled to say I've never asked those questions. To anyone. I have Most never asked. not asked those questions. Anybody that's listened to... Actually, I'm going to humble brag. I got an incredible comment on YouTube today about what a great interviewer I am. Normally, I hear this guy's fat. Look at his dumb battle vest. I want to punch his squinchy face. Fuck this beardo. I, it's a stream of negativity and hatred toward me. I'm a kiss ass. I talk too much about my personal life and myself in these interviews and not enough about the band. All true. Um fat altered but like this guy just was like what a flat out incredible interviewer this guy is holy shit what a fucking compliment 
but no one yeah, has ever these, said that about me so i have most of these things <laughs> are not good like these are not good questions now i would say that i'm concerned like my whole the whole reason i got into doing interviews is because i like a certain style of interview that wants to get into the creative process as you like to say pro process say process process calgary but, um, I, organization i am i'm fascinated by the creative process and what makes a band tick and what makes an artist tick and so i ask a lot of questions that are like sound basic but i'm trying to fish for a deeper thing yeah i i, I completely to do it completely understand that but i'm always worried i'm I, I don't ever ask questions like that personally because i'm always worried i'm gonna get an answer like uh for your star trek fans out there that know better next gen obviously the best show there's the episode of the, there's the episode where Q becomes human, and he explains to Geordi to solve their problem, just change the gravitational constant of the universe. And Geordi's response is, "Well, how do I do that?" And Q's response is, "You just do it. You just do it. You don't even and ask." And that is actually a friend of mine asked me, texted me one time saying, "Because I am a polyglot, I don't know if that's uh, come out." But I speak multiple languages. Yes, and... it's come out because you can't help yourself. No, I can't. And a friend of mine asked me, hey, I work for a Chinese company now. Everybody's Chinese. Their English is not great. I want to speak Chinese to surprise them. So I'm going to come to you because you're the only person I know that speaks all these languages. How do you do it? And don't fucking say, I just do it. Uh, I just do it. You just do it. Um... So, yeah, so man, that's this... why I don't ask those questions because I'm worried I'm going to get that answer. I understand. Um, so yeah, man, this band catapults them into legit star status, top top Completely. echelon band when they have no genre but their own genre, which is Completely. insane because it's hard for people, or at least it is today. It used to be really hard for people to focus on a band that was all over the place, but somehow yeah, it... Faith No More makes all over the place sound like home. Back in 1992, 1991, 1993, even 4 and 5, we didn't have these cross-genre things. Even in metal, metal was metal, thrash metal, death metal. Black metal existed, but it hadn't gotten to the wider Nobody world knew yet. it, though. Like, right. Sorry. It oh, hadn't I made was it into yet. black metal in 87. Bullshit. No, you weren't. You were not. Fuck Correct. And off. so the idea of these genre bending bands, you, you have the Chili Peppers. They got famous on a fucking ballad that lacked any funk, lacked right. any rap. And any good tuning. No no actual in-tune singing whatsoever. Right. It was, it was off-key, out of time. And, that, but, and the you choir know, at the end is done by uh, Flea and Frusciante. Imitating really? a falsetto. That, That's funny. Yeah, under the but bridge yeah, downtown. So the Chili Peppers didn't get famous until they went completely 100% yacht rock. I they said did. it. They there did. was yacht rock. Uh, funny how the Chili's have come back up again because <laughs> this is this is that time when uh, punch they're still digging each other. Punch them in the dick hole. Digs in the press. I, I love Mother's Milk and I love blood sugar sex magic i love I, the chili peppers straight up to well starting at mother's milk straight up minute. to one hot minute yeah can and then I, after that it's i'm milk. the one per, i dipped after one hot minute i love and one i think hot they minute. should have tried to keep navarro did you see band. that tour 
I did with with Iggy Pop in Madison Square Garden in New York, and him and and Kiedis like climbed to the rafters and almost dived to their death into the. I crowd. saw Space Hog. I love Space Hog, dude. Whoa, that's a band we need to do that record. No. Yes. What are you um, talking about? We'll talk. Okay. What else we got? What else do we have? It's not a I'm whole gonna... lot left here. We can start bringing it home. But all right, let me bring this home. Uh, two I, more I, points to make, but I'll let you bring it home. No, hit them. You hit them, and I'll bring home oh, my, my own well, business. Well, I have a final thought at the end, but all right, um, fair. Before the um, but here's a I... new point. Wait, we don't know who's talking. So you, you talk, talk first. I talk. Okay, I'll talk. So honestly, when we talked about doing Faith No More, I really love introduce yourself. I think I made that abundantly clear. I dig the real thing. I want the real thing on vinyl. And I had this impression that was incorrect about what Angel Dust was. And Angel Dust was the next evolution of this band. In my opinion, in my memory, in my, my reminiscing, Jim Martin was cut out. And is, is he as much of a part of that as before? No, but he's still there. In my, in my memory, he was not there. There was like a here and there and but there were riffs there were solos and this is a far far better album than i would i I remember introduce yourself to me as a 10 of 10 and you know real thing is 9 of 10 for me this is 8 of 10 to me i would go 8 9 10 that's how i see the arc so far um, this is the most Faith No More We both album. have an 8, we both have a 9, we both got a 10. Exactly. This is the most Faith No More album Faith No More has ever Faith No More in their whole history. This is the most Patton-esque Faith No More album, although the next one has also a strong Patton direction on it. It's definitely going to be the most controversial of the Faith No More albums next week. Um, are we doing one more episode? This is our one third? More. So we're going to do two albums next week. But definitely the first one's going to be like, oh, oh, no, I, no. You sent me a Facebook I, message. It was one. It, no, we're definitely yes. going to do. We're definitely going to do the last two albums next week. We have to. No, we have to. We're doing the whole arc before the breakup. Oh, my we dick agreed. just got kicked. It's fine, dude. Both those records are good. You'll see. I'll li- I will listen to them. You'll see. You'll see. But this is this record's the masterpiece, man. I can't believe it's going to be 30 years old. This record has stayed with me. It has gotten better over time. I listen to it all the time in in light and dark. I love this album. It's really important to me. Uh, biased, and there's nothing you can do about it. I'm just biased. I love this album. I, I, Faith No More has gone from like a top 30 band to a top 15 band to a top 5 band to a top like 4 band in my life. Mostly on the strength of this album and these songs, which is insane. And I love a lot of their other stuff, but like this is like it really coalesced into the band they were supposed to be here. I do love the real thing deeply, on a very deep and personal level, every groove, every note. But it's this is really Mike's album where he really like Mike being one of the greatest singers of all time. Here's your fucking report card. Here's your evidence. If I if if I may, cut in. This is the album where Faith No More became more Mike's band than Jim's. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think the... You know what? I'm going to just throw this in here, and because this is the last record with Jim, I'll just say that I think the problem is not Jim. Again, I said Jim should have had a side band when he did a thrash metal and, and hard rock. But I think what, also... And I problem, would have been there for that. 
Yeah, same. I think the problem is, or he should have just stayed in music. I guess he got so dissatisfied by what happens, which we'll talk about next week. What has happened to him? He became so unhappy with them that he just I quit music altogether. I think he did try to put together a few bands in the late nineties and just didn't go anywhere. But um, it's not that Jim isn't sufficient or not great because he's a legend. The problem is he's in a band with Mike Patton, Roddy Bottom, and Bill Gould, who all want to dominate in their own way. And whether it's Billy dominating just bass lines or producing, Roddy having a huge direction in the song, and Mike being allowed to become Mike, the Mike we know, that he, he became, you know, came into his own. As much as people love his other bands, and they're all varying degrees of brilliant for the most part, he really came into his own on this record. This is still one of his most stellar personal performances, along with Tomahawk and Bungle, California. So, you know, just wild. Um, with really with the way this record is written, I can't imagine Mike being any different and I cannot imagine Jim being able to assert himself more. Right. Um, that's just my, the way that is. That's just the way it is. My final Faith and More point, like I said, next week will be a doozy, but hang in for it. I think it's going to be fun, a fun discourse. Um, you Lifting know, my final... one eyebrow. Can you smell a la 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 what no. the Nick is cooking? Look, look, fascinating. Fascinating, Captain. Um, in Search of the Shroud of Turing. And go look up In Search Of on YouTube and listen to ne Leonard Nimoy's incredible narrations. Um, my final Faith No More point of this episode is if I speak at one constant volume, at one constant pitch, at one constant rhythm, right into your ear, you still won't hear. I raised my eyebrow. Wait, am I, am I, am I, am I, oh, oh, I'm getting pointed at. Okay. So Faith No More is a band that frankly, they are on the kind of trajectory that every band in the history of the world has ever sought after. Barring ACDC, Post Bon Scott. They have introduced yourself, gave way to the real thing, which gave way to Angel Dust. And frankly, every album is an evolution. Every album is its own thing. Every album is an improvement music musically over its predecessor. And that is, to me, musical perfection. And as I said before, I remembered this album differently than what I heard this week. So, gotta say, I really loved this album far more than I expected to. Faith, so, now... We are heading into the dark times, and we will get back to that next week. It is the Glacially Musical Podcast. It doesn't play in Pura.